Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast, where we strive to bring you useful and timely information to inspire and encourage you on your journey with histiocytosis. This is episode 42, Mother Knows Best, an LCH Parent's Journey with Mia Graviano. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Wisniewski. In today's episode of the podcast, we're doing something we've never done before, inviting a histio mom to discuss her experience with caring for a child with histiocytosis. I don't want to give away too much, so let's just dive right in. Hello, and a very special welcome to our histio community and listeners. Several times over the life of this podcast, we've had patients come on and tell their stories of their experiences with histiocytosis. And I love sharing these stories with you because I think it's helpful for the community to know that they're not alone and that there are others out there who are going through what they're going through. The patient perspective is very important. But another perspective that I think is important to share is the perspective of caregivers, parents in particular. To see your child go through a rare disease can be devastating and life-changing. So I wanted to invite the parents' perspective into our conversations. And since May is the month we celebrate Mother's Day here in the States, I've invited a very special mother to join me for this episode. You've all met Deanna Fournier, the executive director of the Histiocytosis Association, several times on this podcast. You've heard pieces of her own story about her experience with LCH as a child. Well, with me today is Mia Graviano, who is Deanna's mother. I'm so excited for you to hear from her today and to learn more about her experience caring for Deanna when she was a child. Mia, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being with me here today. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to um, to see you again and to uh, share my story. I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, why don't we start by having you um, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, um, so I, of course, I'm Deanna's mom, and I also am a, uh, I'm a social worker by trade. I'm a manager at the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm an avid lover of adventure and travel and um, a big proponent of spending time with my family. As Deanna's mom, Deanna has become quite a regular on our podcast. We have her, we've had her on several times and our listeners are very familiar with who she is. And um, as I mentioned, she shared her story about having LCH as a child. As her mom, we'd love to hear your perspective about that time. Can you share with us a little bit about your experience, including a very coincidental story about an article that you saw? Uh, sure, I'd love to share the story. I'll try my best not to cry. So uh, Deanna was, from uh, what we knew, a very healthy child, very precocious, um, very energetic, very bouncy. Uh, she was our, our first and only child. We were very happy to have her. And... Right about the age of, I would say she was six and a half, seven, she started having some problems uh, with back pain, which was um, diagnosed as some an impacted bowel, which we cleared, but then she continued to have back pain, which was odd for you know a young child. So um, we kept going to doctor after doctor after doctor, and of course they were uh, treating the symptom. Uh, it took a while, probably about four months, there was a day when I was driving her to school and she actually said to me, I would rather go to the hospital than go to school. So to me, that 
showed me how severe her uh, her pain was. I mean, you know, as a, as a child, they kind of jump in and out of pain. So when it's quiet, their back hurts, but when they're outside playing and jumping on the swing, nothing bothers them. So it's sort of hard for even a parent to figure out if this is just something that's passing or something that's chronic. They couldn't find anything other than, you know, um, maybe she was looking for attention. I mean, there was a lot of things that were that were told to me that weren't actual, actually true. So we brought her in, I brought her into the school nurse and she had her bend over and said, oh my gosh, it looks like she has scoliosis or there's something on her spine. So at that point I drove her to the hospital and I figured I'll start from the top, uh, the bottom floor and work my way all the way up. Well, they did a, um, an x-ray and actually found that there was a tumor on her spine, which we then went to an orthopedic surgeon and they admitted her because her white blood count was through the roof. And that was the beginning of the journey. Pain, they may be feeling something internal that is yet to produce itself externally so easily misdiagnosed because you can't see anything. Um, especially a tumor, it might start um, inside, I guess, and you'll feel it more than anybody could actually see it. So it feels more like phantom pain. Um, in any event, she was admitted to the hospital and um, they ran a series of tests and they came in and told me at that time what they said she had was senofilic granuloma. Is that, did I say that correct? <laughs> it's always been a mouthful and, and Langerhans-Dell histiocytosis. So, you know, I remember we were both overwhelmed and shocked that I had, uh, that, that she, you know, she had this, where did she get it from? I mean, there's so many things that crossed your mind. Did I do something to create this as a mom? Uh, was it environmental? It was which was the first time I've ever even heard that, that phrase. I asked what that meant, and they said that because these uh, disorders affect oh, uh, only one in 100,000, which the numbers may have changed at this point, but um, at that point it was one in 100,000, that they lumped all these disorders, various blood disorders together into one lump, and it was called orphan disease, and there was very little research available. So at this time, I'm aging myself, but and, and Deanna, <laughs> but at this time, Google wasn't even a thing. So if right. you needed to get research on stuff, you had to go into the library. So, you know, I didn't want to leave her side. So I, I asked the doctors to get me the research and they produced one article. Mm. And, uh, that was uh, very, that was even more devastating that now I have this orphan disease that only affects a bunch of uh, a, a one in a hundred thousand people to which I've known none of them. And um, I have a doctor handing me one research article and telling me that the findings are that we should be doing chemotherapy, but what kind? And all of that will be discussed later. I have to say, Deanna was not feeling well, obviously. So she was on IV fluid. She was very tired. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, scared. And at the time, you may not know me this well, but I was, um, I was a relatively quiet person. And this brought out a warrior in me that I didn't know existed. Um, I found a voice that I didn't know I had, and uh, that was the beginning of my my search for an answer to her diagnosis that felt right and that set right with my spirit. Um, we went along and we tried to figure out what we were going to do. There was two courses of treatment for Deanna. It was either, you know, surgery or it was going to be chemotherapy. And I recall that, um, so in the wee hours of the night after I put everybody was sleeping, I would take some time to myself and I, I would read. I like to read. But because I was tired, I would often just read the um, magazines that I would pick up in the supermarket. And this, I think it was either Family Circle or Good Housekeeping. At this particular time, I had it in my basket and I picked it up and I was reading it. And there was a story about a man standing in front of a yellow house in New Jersey. And at the time we lived in New York, so it was kind of kind of close. I could feel it. 
And he was standing there with his daughter. And the story turns out to have been about Jeff Tohill and his daughter. And I remember reading the story and thinking, what a remarkable father. His daughter was diagnosed with something that when I read the article, I didn't even know what it was. And I was really felt that what he had done was amazing. Like he created this organization and started to find a cure. And that was how he expressed his desire to let this be known. After my daughter was diagnosed, something in the back of my mind reminded me that I I think I've read this before somewhere. I think I've read about this illness. Um, I didn't have the magazine anymore. So I had to go to the library and look through the microfiche um, to find it. And I did find the article. Um, when I found the article, I was, it is, it's the same thing. I was so excited. And I reached out to the Histiocytosis Association and um, a woman answered the phone and she put Jeff on. Of course, I was devastated and very tearful. And, you know, they were very kind and they listened to me and I spoke with him and said to him, I'm uncertain about the treatment that's been presented to me because it doesn't feel like it's backed by any real knowledge. It's one article and none of them are sitting right with me. I don't feel confident in 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 the in what I'm being told. So I wanted to come to him. I figured he would just tell me go to this person. But he said, I can send you to someone, but the closest doctor I know is in Yale University. So I thought, well, we're packing our bags and we're going to Connecticut. Um, <laughs> I reached out to the hospital. I called the nursing station. I mean, this is just sometimes when you know just just like God's hand is in something. So I called the nurse's station, the secretary answered the phone, and I asked to speak with this particular doctor, and coincidentally, or by, by happenstance, she answered the phone, and I told her Deanna's story. I told her what course of treatment they were going to give her, and I told her that it didn't sit right with me, and that if she said it was the right thing to do, that I would do it, but I would prefer it if, she, if we could be treated by her. She happened to be going to a symposium on histiocytosis that evening in Sweden. So she was not going to be able to see us for, uh, it would be about a week. And she felt that we should be, have her treated right away. So what she suggested that she do is call the doctors at Stony Brook Hospital and express to them what she would use based on the research that she knows. And that she said, I would try to, I'll try to see if they'll listen to me. And they did. She called and they listened and they provided her with a different form of treatment that felt very right for me. And I believe that's uh, why we have the resolution that we do. But yeah, I wouldn't have been able to, I don't think I would have been able to navigate this storm without uh, Jeff and the association. It was, uh, it was a pretty amazing coincidence. It, it's, it's amazing to see sometimes how things just fall into place and, you know, how you're, you're gut tells you what you should and shouldn't do. And it, it seems like that's exactly what happened in this case. It is exactly what happened in this case. And um, I'm, I'm so forever grateful. You know, it's even just that a doctor would even pick up the phone and then make a phone call for someone she knows nothing about. But working in medicine myself as, as a social worker, I, I, you know, it's, it's just not often what happens. So yeah, it, it was just divine timing. Awesome. I'm sure that that both before uh, you received your diagnosis, there were many emotions that you were experiencing as well as after you received it. How did you feel prior to receiving the diagnosis? Uh, before the diagnosis, well, we were, I was terrified. I didn't, I really didn't know. I was scared. Um, we were nervous, you know, hopeful, of course. And yeah, I think just just terrified. It was uh, the thought that something was wrong with your child. There's uh, 
there's a piece of you that start begins mourning almost immediately, but also it brings out a different piece of you that, you know, you know, you're just going to, there's strength that comes out of you that you, I don't think many of us are aware we have. Right. Right. It, it, I, I've actually said the same thing on another podcast episode before, but it reminds me of something I've seen on social media a lot that says, um, we, we never know how strong we are until being strong is the only choice we have. That's true. Um, I believe that. Yeah, I, I totally believe that. I was going to say that um, heroes are are not born. They are bred out of circumstances. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. What what advice would you give to other parents or family members who are waiting on a diagnosis for their child? So for so many people, uh, when they're when they're uh, in the medical, uh, you know, faced with a medical situation, they fall in line with with whatever's told to them and then maybe regret it. I would think that an important thing would be to have a discussion. We did have a family meeting about it, have a discussion about it, get some opinions, make sure you're straight. Like, you know, it's not out of fear that I made my choices. It was out of what, as you said, what my gut was telling me, it just didn't feel right. It felt like I was putting a um, tricycle tire on a, on a um, truck. It didn't, it just was so out of alignment with what I thought it should be, even though I didn't have any knowledge, it just didn't feel right. So definitely discuss those concerns with the doctors. And I mean, I, for one, was not afraid to, I wouldn't say confront, but to basically say, you know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to make a decision. I have two opposing choices and I'm afraid to make a decision. I was kind of grasping for, if it were your child, what would you do? I, I, I guess I, I asked nurses, I just asked. And, you know, it's interesting because sometimes you'll get some behind the scenes opinions and they were all very helpful in kind of validating what I was feeling. Um, so I would say, talk amongst yourselves, uh, try not to blame each other, you know, just try to try to weather the storm together. Um, together, we can get through it separately. We're all going in different directions. Right. Absolutely. So once you received the diagnosis, would you say that your feelings changed or did, were you feeling something different at that point? We're talking a number of years ago, and I, I would say that I, I was probably more frightened because of you know the the uh, term orphan disease, um, the rarity of it, um, the lack of knowledge at that time, which has changed tremendously now, the lack of research available, at least available immediately and largely because the internet wasn't available because it probably research was available but if you didn't have access to it unless you could deep dive into some medical records which could have taken you forever. But yeah, we were afraid, but I, I was eager to figure out how to get to the other side of it. I was hopeful. Yeah. Right. You know, just last month in April, we released a podcast about the the caregiver experience and the benefit and meaning that can be found from caregiving. It was a very well received uh, episode with um, Dr. Uh, Eli Diamond and Dr. Allison Applebaum. Yeah. And one of the things that Dr. Applebaum shared was this. She said that it's really important when we talk about the positives, when we talk about finding meaning or benefit finding that we're not talking about the power of positive thinking or turning lemons to lemonade. We're not saying that caregivers are just ignoring the challenges that they're faced with. In fact, I often talk about caregivers experience the concurrence of meaning and suffering. What do you what are your thoughts about this quote? Would you say what would you say were the biggest challenges you faced while caring for a child with a rare disease? You know, it's interesting when I that you asked that question because when I took Deanna home from the hospital, um, before we actually had treatment, I remember asking a nurse, what would you, what do I do now? I, I was didn't know what to do anymore. 
I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm starting a grieving process of a, a healthy child now having a sick child. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, she said to me, um, don't do anything differently. Don't treat her any differently. Mm-hmm. And that was very salient advice for me because so often when children are sick, we, we become helicopter parents. We worry about them too much. And, and that really, it, that advice, although simple, really worked for me to keep me in alignment with uh, what my fear was doing versus, you know, what my faith was doing. So I, you know, I didn't really change the course of our day to day, but the disease actually helped me to find, I would agree with the doctors in the sense that it, it helped me find special meaning in the little things. So it wasn't so about the big things we were doing, but it was more, you know, when you hold your child and you get to smell them and just to realize how precious that is. Here we go. Here come the waterworks. (laughs) (laughs) How, How precious that moment is or you know when they're sleeping and um you know you read them a story or or just belly laughing together or or just finding wonder as kids often do in the simplest things just walking down the street or whatever all of that became very vivid for me very important those were every second felt like a memory i was going to hold on to forever We're going to take a short break to share with you some very important information, but when we come back, we'll learn more about Mia's experience as a histio mom fighting for her child and hear her advice for other histio parents. We'll be right back. The diagnosis of a histiocytic disorder can bring on an onslaught of emotions and feelings, uh, grief and loss. You may have experienced the loss of a loved one, the loss of your health, the loss of your old life before a histio diagnosis, and you do not have to navigate this journey alone. There is hope moving forward. Working with Master Certified Coach Don Eisenhower over the last several months, I personally have experienced firsthand just how powerful it can be to share our stories, to spend time with each other, to spend time with our grief together and with this support system. Licensed clinical psychologist Jordana Jacobs said, grief can be undulating. One day you might find yourself okay and then the next you're almost knocked over by the experience and that's absolutely normal. Grief is very personal. It's not neat. It's not linear. It doesn't seem to follow any timelines or schedules. You might wake up and cry or later on in the day become angry or withdraw or feel empty or some days you feel just fine and that can also cause us to think that we're doing things wrong or that this is unusual. None of these things are unusual or wrong. And participating in conversations and groups that are centered around grief is a wonderful thing to do. Has helped me personally tremendously in my own grief, as well as understanding how to support others who are grieving, including all of you in the Histio community when we are in our peer support calls. I hope that you will join us and Don Eisenhower for a monthly peer support call, our grief group, and spend some time for you and really hope to see you there. Whether you are managing the loss of a loved one or grieving a change in life, whether you're ready to talk or you just want to come and listen, we hope that you take the time for you and that you come spend that hour with us for our grief support group. And you can uh, use the link below to register. Thank you.
For more information about our grief and other support groups, check the link in our show notes. And now, welcome back to part two of my interview with Mia Graviano, the mother of the Histiocytosis Association's Executive Director, Diana Fournier. There's still a lot of wisdom that Mia has to share with us, so let's dive back in. You know, you read them a story or, or just belly laughing together or, or just finding wonder as kids often do in the simplest things, just walking down the street or whatever. All of that became very vivid for me, very important. Those were every second felt like a memory I was going to hold on to forever. It definitely makes you just appreciate every single moment, right? And just yeah. um, it changes your perspective on life all the way around, I think. Absolutely. And then to realize that all of our health could change in a second. Um, and so, yeah, to, to just, it, it really did put life into a huge perspective. I th- I've, I've found in my own life when I'm going through something difficult, obviously, when you're going through it, you wish it was over and you would never want to go through it again. But often mm-hmm. I've found on the other side of it, I wouldn't change anything for the world just because of how it changed me as a person and my perspective on the world and things like that. I think that we can really gain some valuable insight and perspective from going through the tough times. Yeah, I would absolutely 100% agree with that. Yeah. Now, whenever we are going through something difficult in life, it's really important to have support, whether that be from friends or family, information, education, all of those things. Did you feel supported while you're going through this difficult time? And how did you push through the toughest moments? So, Kathy, it was really hard to find support. Um, it was hard to even say the name. I didn't find that surrounding me, Deanna, at some point looked fine. And so, and you know, as she's a kid, so she's just behaving, you know, normal. What happens at home was very different than what was going on uh, when she was out, you know, playing with friends or family. You know, she was often feeling better during those moments. Um, so I don't feel that I had an, an awful lot of support. Of course, her father and I were, were supporting each other, but... I did have the support of the association. I I feel like for most people in our extended family, maybe not just, maybe it's just my family, but I feel that often people don't want to talk about what you're going through. They want to maybe, you know, things will get better, but they didn't really want to hear the down and dirty details that I really wanted to share with somebody. But at some point, I, I think that I realized that if the association was going to be my support, that I was going to do what I could to kind of turned lemons into lemonade. And because we didn't know anyone else that shared the diagnosis, I was concerned that my daughter would feel that there was something wrong with her, that there was something different about her. So for example, they gave her a back brace to wear. It was one of those big tortoise shell back braces and she was little. So we decorated it and I brought stickers in for the whole class and let everybody put a sticker on. So she became Mm -hmm. the cool with the back brace. Um, But then Deanna and I started the Pen Pal Club at the Histiocytosis Association. And that was selfishly and not selfishly my way of letting her know that there were other children out there that shared this disorder from all around the world that she may or may not meet, but that she was able to communicate with them and share their stories. And that was very cool. Um, That's how way back we go. (laughs) Now we have an email. But also it was intriguing to see how many adults with this disorder also sort of, they shared, they shared things with my daughter that we shared with the association almost as if to say, I too have it and, and I'm living a fulfilled life. So it was just, it was amazing. That piece of it was amazing. And so knowing that I could help her feel a part of a community helped me to not really need to talk about my struggle. 
as, as you know, with people that really didn't want to hear it. So I would just save it for being able to share it with a community that wanted to hear about it or someone that could understand exactly what I'm going through. I think that that's, that's really what this podcast is all about, sharing, sharing stories and sharing things so that the community feels like they are supported and that they, there are others that, you know, it's important for us to find community with others that know what we're, what we're going through and that get it. So, yeah, I think the get it part is a big, is a big piece of it. Yeah. And so often happens that people don't get it and you want them to, you keep talking and they just, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. What would you say was the the toughest lesson that you learned during this time? Oh, the toughest lesson that I learned during this time. That's an interesting question. The hardest lesson that I learned during this was to to let go, mm. uh, to to allow life to unfold as it should, and uh, to realize that I had very little control over an outcome, but complete control over the journey. And my reaction, that was the hardest thing for me, because as a mom, you just want to hone in, you want to take control, you want everyone to just stand in line and do what you tell them to do. Mm -hmm. I really had to hold back from that voice that I had just found. I had to hold back from executing it in a way that wasn't um, honorable. (laughs) It wasn't going to create the results I wanted. So to let things, you know, to, to, to learn to speak in a way where I was heard and still get some sort of result, but maybe not the result I wanted, but a, a result that was going to work for my daughter. Also to let go of having to, to worry and to trust that, that we were going to get through it, however, whatever the ending was, that the journey was going to be as good as I could make it. You, you kind of touched on a couple of things uh, as we've been talking, but what would you say were the biggest things you learned about yourself through this experience? Um, well, as I said earlier, I was, uh, I was always a very quiet person, maybe just a little bit intimidated by people. And this experience brought out a piece of me that probably was always there that I didn't really execute on the daily. I wasn't someone who would you know, question a medical decision. But what I learned is that when you're a mom, you know, there's pieces of you that, that, that develop and you would go to any lengths to fight for your child. So I found my warrior. She was a warrior, but I found my warrior. That, that mama bear came out, right? <laughs> more dead, more, a little bit of a tiger, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you look back now on everything that you went through, is there anything that you would change or anything, you know, now that you wish you could go back and tell yourself then? I don't know if I would change any of it. No, I don't know. I um, thing that I would tell myself is, um, you know, you've got this, you could do this. This is, um, I think sometimes I question why, why it happened. And, and I, there's a lot of internal dialogue that goes on. Um, as moms, we often are mom shamed by other people. We also mom shame ourselves and we feel responsible for everything, the good, bad, and the ugly. I wish I would have behind scenes not spent so much time um, feeling responsible. Mm. Right, right, right. That must have been hard though. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. With education and awareness though, you know, you realize that um, we don't know what it is. And I, you know, I, I mean, you don't know where it came from. You don't know what it is. I, I, I think we don't know the origin of it. And so, you know, it could have been anything. So if I would have given myself some peace, I've, I, I may have um, <clears throat> bared it a little bit <laughs> easier. 
What, what would you say is the, the best way for parents to advocate on behalf of their children, as well as, as teach them to advocate for themselves, especially as they transition into adulthood themselves? I think the important thing is to make sure that you feel heard, that the, what you're saying is being heard. I mean, so as a, as a giver of information, your responsibility is to ensure that the person that hears it understands it from your perspective. So if you're feeling pain somewhere and someone's dismissing it, but it really is an important, it's an important piece of your everyday, you know, to make sure that it's heard and that it's being addressed. So again, just finding that way of finessing that what your experience is is not just washed off as commonplace. And yes, everyone feels this way. That doesn't make us, you know, that doesn't address the issue. The issue is this is what I have and this is how I, 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 how are we going to address it? So just being, um, keeping yourself relevant on current information of what's available, having that knowledge base, um, you know, being on top of research and also you know, being honest with what's going on with you, with your physicians, not to be afraid to, you know, really share uh, what's happening. So I was very open about my fears with the doctors and, and that I was going to do a little research on my own and I wasn't trusting what was told. They knew about it. Yeah. There was nothing going on behind the scenes. I was fully transparent and I think it was helpful for them so that they could help me, you know? Right. I think I think what's important too is that especially when it comes to your child, you you know your child more than you know better than anybody else. So if you know they're saying that something is normal, you know if it's not normal for your child. And I think that that's uh, that's an important thing that um, I think that I think that doctors are are getting really really good at at understanding that too. And I think even as an adult, nobody knows yourself or your child better than you do. Right. So then you want to just make sure that you're not afraid to speak your voice and, and, and say it, even though, you know, they're doctors, because still doctors have that whole, you know, we're, we're often afraid to speak up to authority, at least in my generation, we were raised that way. Um, But to just, you know, dig deep and, 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 and put it out there. Um, Nowadays, you could just send an email. So if you're afraid (laughs) to speak an email, so it makes be kind of timid and shy if that's who you are but yes it's true you do know your child better than anyone like you're it's it's absolutely true well now of course Deanna's all grown up and doing very well and the the executive director of the histiocytosis association how does that make you feel as her mom what did you think of when she told you she was taking this position so my heart just bursts with joy this seems to be such a full circle I know when she, when she told me about it, we both just thought this has to be, you know, I'm quite sure she didn't think that, you know, this would ever, that she would ever get this position, you know, Um, but I knew hundred percent that this was going to be part of her calling who she is, you know, she's able to work, which is uh, such a gift. She's working from her heart space. Mm -hmm. So this is her heart. This is part of her heartbeat and she gets to share it with the community. It's just amazing to see what she's doing. It's amazing to see her excel. And, and I'm just, I'm just so proud of her. Yeah. And, and uh, I can tell you from the staff perspective, we all love having her around too. And um, I, I honestly don't think that, that there is a better p- person for this position than her for exactly all the reasons you said, and just, you know, the, the, the skills and, and the experiences that she has, um, it really has come full circle for her, which is amazing and awesome to see. It really is amazing. 
doing a great job. Everyone's doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. Well, this month here in the States, we uh, celebrate Mother's Day. So what message do you have specifically for mothers who are caring for children with histiocytosis? If I had to share a message for moms, first of all, happy Mother's Day. I guess it would be a message of hope. Uh, Life has changed so much since my daughter was diagnosed with histiocytosis. And there is awareness out there and doctors that are diligently uh, working on trying to find better treatments and and, um, there's better resolution, better outcomes for children. I, uh, and adults, I'd like to ask for moms to find the support that they need, uh, may not be through the people that are closest to you, it may be through outside agencies or, or histiocytosis association, but to find the support that you need to uh, share your story, it helps bear the burden and to hear other people's stories, Rue does, it you know, I'd be the last person to join something like that, honestly. But it, it really, I, I find it so helpful to just be able to dig in and hear other people's stories and to see how other people handle these situations. Um, but hold your children, love them to death. They're, they grow up so fast. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Before we wrap up, I always like to give my guests the opportunity to share any final thoughts or anything you would like to share with the Histio community. Is there anything you would like to say to, to the community as a whole? I would love to thank all the community partners for all their dedication, devotion, and support. Their continued support makes the world of difference in everyone's lives. And I would just like to remind people that the History of Social Association is available and that they have a lot of support groups. They have this podcast. There's so many exciting things going on. This association was... uh, the light in a very dark tunnel for myself and my daughter. It's just an amazing, it's an amazing group of loving people who are available to support each other. And that's what I'd, I'd like to say to just, you know, show up and, and let's all work together to hopefully eradicate this. Well, Mia, thank you so much for spending your time with me here today and sharing your perspective and Diana's story with us. I think that that this episode is going to be so encouraging to our community just to know, um, like we talked about, that others have experienced and felt the same things that they have. And, and most importantly, to know that they're not alone. So thank you so, so much. Kathy, thank you so much for having me. Um, it was my pleasure. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that hearing from a histio parent is helpful to you on your journey. By sharing stories like this, I think we extend a little bit of hope into the community, and that's exactly what we strive to do every day. If you liked this episode, please consider leaving a review, sharing with a friend, leaving us a comment, or taking a screenshot of the episode and tagging us on Instagram at histiocytosis underscore association. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you're notified every time a new episode of Beyond the Diagnosis is released. Remember, we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for a podcast episode, you can email it to podcast at histio.org and put podcast idea in the subject line. For links to websites, studies, articles, or resources referenced in today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes. As always, we've so enjoyed bringing you this episode of the podcast and look forward to sharing our next episode coming soon. Until then, take good care.